so we're back. That was a nice little break. <laughs> <laughs> nice Ooh. little breaky break. Hey, sure. Sure. what a break, man! Yeah. I love my As South Africans would say, "Sure, we, hey." Totally. Yeah, like, sure. That deserves a good shoe. Sure. Shoe-wee, double ooey. <laughs> That's um yeah, I got more gray, more beard length. You know, I've <laughs> I feel like uh we need to thank the listeners, you know, for allowing us that time off. Because maybe we took a little bit of liberty toward the end there. We kind of should have been back a little bit earlier. But um <laughs> yeah, maybe I was bit. just enjoying my holiday so much. I'm oh sure. man. Thought I'd take yeah. a little bit extra, you know. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're enjoying your holiday. You know, you guys can can go places and do things. And, <laughs> oh, you know, oh, holidays really. like the same we're as back, every other day for me. We're back in lockdown for like three days. Well, but you guys. Yeah, well, Auckland's level awesome. three, rest yeah. of New Zealand's level two. And depending on what they say yesterday, it could extend. It basically really? Means, yeah, well, three people have got COVID, bro. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, they want to crunch down, bro. Oh, right, yeah. Because, I and, mean, this is this is all your prime minister's got. Yeah. Let's be honest. This, this is our card, like, yeah. No. Handling COVID <laughs> is the whole key to her success. Her exactly, success. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, well, and, like the, and le- you know, level two just means we're like a face mask. And uh, she's also got uh, making uh, conversion therapy illegal, which is coming up soon. Oh, that's, that's yeah, solid, that's in, solid. In, the, yeah. in the pipelines here as well. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, hey, it's going to be interesting, interesting times ahead. <laughs> I'll see you guys in prison. Mm, for sure. I wonder if they have Zoom in prison. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah you get your own TV. Yeah, what will we do then? It's good. Yeah, we might have to wrap up the podcast if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just find a way to kind of, you know, we'll have to find some bylaw somewhere that means I have to come to your prison. Oh, come on. Yeah, there we go. That's it. <laughs> That'll work. That'll yeah. work. Yeah. All right. Good. So, are we all well? We haven't literally. Just if anyone's wondering, you know, why we're spending so much time on this intro, <laughs> it's because we literally haven't talked to each other. Yeah. Know, the whole time. I'm so, like, what did you guys read on the holidays? Dude. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. That'd be interesting. I'll kick off because I got right. right here. Okay. Good. Do it. Is just finished reading this this guy. Dude, which one? Ah, volume one. Ah, first one. Brilliant. Okay, for the listener, for the benefit of the listener, please repeat the title. Nick Needham. Right, so it's it's Nick Needham's um, series in church history. There's four volumes, uh, and it's called 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. Yeah. And this is the age of the early church fathers. Yeah, good. Awesome good series. It is yep, so series. he's a Reformed Baptist dude in Inverness, Scotland. Mm. Uh, super, super, super good stuff. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So super, it's written for, for the layperson. So like any, anyone can read it. It's super readable. Um, lots of good, lots of good stories uh, to, to keep the interest going through some of the heavy kind of dates and, and events and things like that. So really, really good. Yeah, I really think good. I've read those volumes two or three times. It's so good. Yeah. Mm. Very mm. good. Yeah. They are fantastic. It's one of the best. I can't think of a better overview really. Uh, yeah. Maybe Bruce Shelley was the closest. Otherwise, nah, I think Nick Needham, he's the best. Yeah, yeah and because he's got a Reformed Baptist. Yeah, especially when he's in. evaluating the Lord's Supper just through the ages. Mm. His evaluation, he's asking all the right questions. Totally, just yeah. love what he brings out. So very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Good. What you've been reading, Nick? 
So I've done a few things. So I did uh, C.S. Lewis on uh, Letters to Malcolm, mm-hmm. which is uh, C.S. Lewis's book on prayer, which was very interesting. Wow. <laughs> then I did uh, Os Guinness, uh, Free People's Suicide, wow. which is looking at um, basically America. And, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, freedom needs virtue and virtue needs faith. And he's just thinking that the, the relationship between those three things. So you can't have freedom without virtue and you can't have virtue without faith. And this is the foundation of the American worldview. And so free people's suicide is how everyone's just they're going over the edge basically in the name of freedom because it's uh, it's an ungrounded and it's got no foundation anymore. So, yeah. Mm. Then I'm reading uh, Nancy Piercy, Love Thy Body. Oh, wow. Have you guys read that one? Uh, I'm not a massive Piercy fan. Being the two dude, kingdom guy that is, I am. Uh, dude, uh, true. She is total transformationalist. Yeah. Uh, Schaeferian all the way. Mm-hmm. But um, man, absolutely brilliant. Just in yeah, terms of you. showing how the Bible's view of anthropology, love thy body, you know, mm-hmm. the, the body and the mind are one versus all the other views, whether it's abortion, euthanasia, transgenderism, mm-hmm. and uh, just a brilliant study. Thoroughly loving it. Actually bought the hard copy because I've been doing the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. David Van Drunen, Living in God's Two Kingdoms. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. Uh Carl Truman, Rise of the Modern Self. Nice. Yeah. Great book. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I start I actually just started reading that. Yeah. Yeah. So those those two I'm sort of still 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 going through, but mm. yeah. Mm. That's some of the I ones. also started reading Kelvin's Institutes. So, yeah. Nick, Nick and I read that together one. back in the day. I think this is like our, it was like our <laughs> nice, bromance to nice. start off with. We, I think uh, we got through yeah. like half of the volume one and then it was like, Meh. well, we, we just kind of touched, <laughs> we touched base less around volume four. I remember that. Uh, we yeah. were like, yeah, ecclesiology, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it, so I'm, I'm surprised at, at the relevancy of, of it, actually, to be honest, like he's asking all the same sort of questions and answering all the same objections that you would have today if you're engaging with Catholicism. But the tone of it is very different. Like it's uh, not like a modern book in that, you know, it's uh, just like the, the papers are idiots because they, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they yeah. couldn't be so stupid and careless <laughs> and ugly, you know, so. <laughs> they're all so yeah. ugly. Yeah. <laughs> if, if so-and-so had two brain cells to rub together, he might be able to understand what yeah. I'm saying to him, but he clearly doesn't. Therefore, he had like, a Oziander. Must be talking about Oziander. Oziander <laughs> got nailed. Oh my goodness. Put Oziander the whole time. Yeah. Oh man. Cool. So what you reading, reading Mike? Uh, what have I been? Well, mostly, mostly uh, to the same old boring story for me. Uh, you know, it's just Klein, Klein, and more Klein, and then um, and everything about Klein and everything surrounding Klein. So I don't think anyone wants to hear that part of it. Uh, well, we'll make a big deal out of that. I'll sort of wrapping up. Uh, I did mention before we took a break that. Uh, I was going to use the the time off to to do a lot of writing, so I did. Didn't quite get as far as I wanted to get, but I'm sort of rounding up, so that's that's a good thing. And um, so that's been taking a lot of my time. But I have actually been using too much other time because I have st- I have taken the plunge into a very big read, and it's something I'm deeply stoked with. Um, let me see. Yep, right over here. Une seconde. Whoa, that's big. <laughs> Ew. Septuagint, wow. Yep, the reader's Ooh, edition. This little, nice. the double volume. But look at this thing. I mean, it's beautiful. It's just, uh, they've just typefaced it beautifully. I mean, look at that. It's like, oh, that is nice. And you got a hundred, uh, 
So is it uh, interlinear or uh, what's the no, format? No, interlinear. It's a reader's edition. So it's got the words that appear, um, you know, less than or 100, 100 up, I think it, it was. But um, wait, anyways, a decent, decent lot of footnotes there. You can see on every page giving you, you know, all the, the rare words. So but the idea was if you've, if you've uh, nailed the New Testament vocab, you should be sweet with the reader's yep, edition. Sounds good. And, um, and so, yeah, that's working. I've read through all of Genesis. Wow. Uh, read through all of Exodus. And uh, loving it, absolutely loving it. Nice. So I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to do it all. Who who publishes that? That's uh, Hendrickson. Nice. Uh, yeah. So is that the same? Is it's the same as the Greek Hebrew Readers Bible that you and I have? Um, this is this just for the Septuagint. Yeah, except uh, it's got more. It, it lets you know more um, of the vocab and the footnotes, and it's it's set up set up better. I think you know it's just, it's not as compressed. You know, right? Okay. So it just looks nicer, but I have got okay. just while we're talking about that, you know okay. that readers okay. uh, edition yeah. Greek and Hebrew Bible, some... that Zondervan one. There's, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Henry, but another one I picked up. There's a Christmas present which uh, I'm loving. Is uh, yourself? The, yeah, complete uh, Hebrew Dude. Greek Bible, which, uh, which you know, it's it no no readers. It's not a readers, but look at this, look at this bad boy. I mean, that's some beautiful typeface, you know. It's huge. So it's just an absolute yeah. pleasure to read this oh, guy. Oh, that's know? nice. Yeah. So you know, even if you got your um, yeah. your phone out for all the the words and stuff, and yeah, you, know, you can kind of yeah. have the English out and another Bible next to you. But just for like bedtime stuff, you know, when you're sitting there and you don't want to use the screen. Uh, that's not what I do at bedtime. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm just loving the process. I've got I've got this uh, this method. You know, like I, I what I do is I I read it through in the reader's edition, then I read it through on my Orthodox Greek Bible pure no notes nothing just like uh you know patriarchal text stuff that's why you're doing the phd bro <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then what i do is i i read it again like so so and then by the time i come back to the the reader's edition it's like i don't even need those bottom notes and it's just like oh it's just nice and big font and it's a beautiful experience man and the thing is what i'm surprised if anyone is thinking about doing this yeah you know i've been um you know whenever i talk to andre i'm sort of getting on his getting on his nerve about it a little bit but uh we, we're just upping the greek game you know so so basically we're just like talking in greek and texting in greek and writing in <laughs> greek and uh reading in greek and, and just uh, to clarify mike's talking to me in greek you know i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm i'm trying to listen and decipher it's amazing though because when i'm reading it and i'm going through like greek vocab i'm like yeah 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 like uh, greek vocab like this very like when I'm going through all the vocab exercises and stuff, I'm hardly ever getting stuck. But when I'm hearing it and trying to, mm, without seeing it, mm. and then I'm trying to recall it fast enough to speak it, I realize it's like a different brain muscle, you know? Oh, it really is, and yeah. so it is valuable because, because you, are, you are forcing your brain to think about it in a different way. Yeah, so so, and, and then when you go back code. to reading, you find you don't translate as much because it's just so quick, you know, that, that yeah. you just sort of read it directly, yeah. which is great. But um, yeah, anyway, so the, what I was going to say was if anyone, you know, so usually if you get through like, I don't know, uh, uh, a Mounts's Greek grammar, you know, there's just a little bit more vocab to get through once you've done that to really be ready to go for the Septuagint, you know, if you've got the basic grammar. So, and it, it's, it's easier than, I mean, obviously on, you read it, you're not getting everything you're not reading it you mean the beyond the basics beyond the basics grammar no i mean, just mean, I mean the, you're getting the, a you mean the the ham the introduction yeah i mean if you're if you're just getting um 
your vocab frequency thing up a little bit from that basic any great uh, intro to greek grammar then you you're sort of ready to go for a reader's edition and the grammar itself is not that much more you know it's like you know okay fine you might not pick up on all the various verb tenses and whatever but you're going to know when it's plural when it's masculine when it's you know what case it's in and it's all going to be yeah. the sentence is going to make more or less you know some sense to you and and especially if you know the english story it's just cool it's just cool to yeah. read it along and, and you just get better at it i've noted that that i've noticed definitely how that's improved like just everything about greek just reading the old i'm a fan i'm a big fan i had a lecturer who failed greek uh, <clears throat> and uh what is uh, he went to westminster by the way and he did that course where you brush up on uh, languages before you start yeah and he failed the course so they're like okay well this is what you got to do and so he gave him the letters of Irenaeus to translate right yeah something he'd never read before so that he couldn't have the bible in the background yeah. pulling it out right you had to totally. learn come to it completely cold well i was telling under the other day like i've just recently started i've just been like going on this like again spending a little too much time on this i mean i need to be doing other things but but uh reading some classical greek so getting into some you know just attic attic greek and not quite homeric but just kind of on that <laughs> on that just nice. beyond koine vibe and um and yeah i love the way it's so I, I thought it'd be super weird and you know I, you know i felt like a bit a bit crazy getting out of that that bible territory but it, it's been awesome you know just that that it's like a different thing, different vocab, different everything, different stories, different, you know, and it's just, it's just, I don't know, there's something to rejig your whole love for the, the um, learning Greek process. And I think it, it kind of, it can only help, you know? So anyway, it's interesting, interesting how non-intuitive all of that is. Cause you would have thought it's not, it's not, I would have thought like, Hey, first nail the new Testament, you know, like completely nail it and then think about, Septuagint but I think I you know now having done at least this little bit I'm thinking just dive in you know that immersion strategy is the best yeah well the Septuagint might help you a new testament because it's borrowing phrases and well that's what got me into it that's what got me originally I think it was actually I was doing my chapter on on um um you know the uh, on the dissertation which at one point intersected a little bit with the with uh there was some sort of difference I can't remember offhand now what it was but it just sent me on this rabbit trail I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is quite crazy how the how the Septuagint has changed it. Then I was like, what's up with the Septuagint again? Like, where are we at? You know, how 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 big does this have to factor into what I'm saying here? And then I went down this whole big rabbit trail, and it, it, I remember doing it a while back, but just kind of doing it all again, and uh, and realizing, oh man, what an interesting field of study. You know, it really it is just such a, a crazy because it's like it has real authority. It packs a real punch. You know, and. Um, uh, especially once you start getting into that manuscript debate thing and what could have potentially well, actually, been adopted I was, by I was the just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because if, if you guys have, because uh, maybe we should do a, you know, a, a full thing on this, is if you guys have thought about the whole question Masoretic of the text or Septuagint, mm. that debate. Yeah. Well, it's not, not, not only that, but also in response to, um, I, was, I was watching uh, over the last week, I watched the debate on the canon. With uh, between some Roman Catholic guys and and uh, well, it, it wasn't actually a debate. It was more Roman Catholic guys critiquing a Protestant thing. And one of the things that they raised was, look, the the you know the the reformers went back to the Hebrew script uh, text, 
Um, but uh, the New Testament quotes more from the, from the Septuagint. And well, so, well, the thing is that it does it when it differs from the Masoretic. That's what freaks me out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not like, it's yeah, not exactly. like they, they so, have like, oh, well, you know, either no. or the one's a translation of the other. Yeah, they yeah. actually differ significantly. And, the you know, favor. like, and so people hearing this, you know, yeah. this is how you will know this already when you've, um, you know, you're in your New Testament and then and suddenly, and this is why the prophet said such and such. And then yeah. you're like, really? And then you go follow the reference back and you're like, I don't know, you didn't, you didn't really yeah. say that. <laughs> so, and, so Paul's paraphrasing or he's drawing on the meaning. Or, or he's know, quoting yeah. the Septuagint directly yeah. and not the Masoretic and they differ. And, yeah. um, and this yeah. is where it gets kind of, okay, so what does that mean? Yeah, now? totally. And that, so that relates to, um, to issues of canonicity as well. And on, on you, know, uh, you know, whether or not the, because obviously the, yeah, was it the, uh, the the apocrypha was originally translated with the Septuagint, for sure. Which is which is part of the reason why it's continued in Roman Catholicism and yep. and Greek yep. Orthodoxy. Greek Orthodox, so, yeah. I I think that's a really interesting yeah uh, it point is to, to delve into at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I think um you know because it gets it you know again just because we have like I think if offhand our Septuagint oldest manuscripts are like a thousand years older than anything Masoretic that we have. So there's the, in those instances where there's been a difference, you know, there's either they're working off a different Hebrew manuscript or, or they've, you know, they've got, you know, after that, after, because the, I think it was after about 380 around that, that's our first sort of Masoretic uh, Hebrew text. And, and, you know, by that time, obviously Christ has come, the church has started, there's ample opportunity for, for doctoring the manuscripts there. And so we know the classic one would be like the virgins were, uh, you know, the born of a virgin prophesied. And, uh, you know, all of that's been sort of left out of the, the Masoretic and perhaps they tweaked that. But anyways, all to say that, um, you know, then you do have to make a few calls on where you're going to put the exegesis, uh, uh, put the Septuagint in the exegesis process, you know, mm -hmm. because right now, I think the typical approach is to go, right, de facto is Masoretic. Off we go. Let's look at it. You know, let's look at the Hebrew, basically base it on that. And then, you know, we'll kind of let the Septuagint just guide us on a few points, perhaps maybe. But, you know, there's a little, I mean, there is an argument to be made that that might actually be a fundamentally misguided process if Paul is using the context of the Septuagint as his exegetical framework, you know, and um, the, the complicated thing, the complicating thing about the whole, the whole deal though, is that we don't actually have a Septuagint. We talk about it as a, as a single work, but, it, you know, we had that the Pentateuch was translated and then the rest is just kind of an assembly of various manuscripts along the way. So we, we don't even necessarily have the same Septuagint manuscripts that, that, that um, they had when they were quoting. So yeah, it, it gets super complicated, but um, it is interesting. So we can, we can talk about that sometime. There we go. looks like my reading was by far the most interesting. of all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, uh, but Nick had a, Nick had a topic. PC. And it's not baptism. <laughs> not baptism. To everyone's relief. <laughs> yes, I've been, uh, I don't know what you guys are preaching through, but I'm still working through Luke. And we've just come to the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the prayer, thy kingdom come. And I thought, hmm, what is the Kleinian two kingdom view on this little prayer, thy kingdom come? So I thought I'd throw it out to you guys. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the theonomist view. Yeah, please. Yeah, they're like, uh, you know, there we go. Ta-da! <laughs> you know, uh, just basically the theocracy. 
you know, as it is in heaven. Yeah. Um, stop, start getting a few baptized tanks out there. Let's take over the world. Let's do it. You know, as yeah. it is in heaven and, uh, <laughs> and you're praying for it. You, you know, the, the, the immediate Kleinian knee jerk response there is, um, trust me, you know, heaven does not look like uh, stoning people to death and, you know, uh, <laughs> politics of a theocratic variety. And so when we're praying for that, we, we, you know, we certainly aren't praying for, for anything um, like that, you know, um, if anything, it's, it's, it's praying for something that can only ultimately be uh, manifested in any kind of new creation, you know, and so obviously to the degree that there's an overlap or inauguration of the new creation uh, yeah. in, in, in soteriology and so forth, uh, the kingdom is coming and, and that's what's happening as it is in heaven. Um, there is a, a desire, a renewed heart to, to serve God as there is in heaven and so forth. But really, we're praying ultimately, I think, for, for the advance of the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel and then the, the, the return of Christ. Yep. Yeah. What do you think, Andre? Um, I think it's, it's actually easier. In, in some sense, Luke makes it easier because he doesn't have the, you know, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, but, but uh, I think Luke is helpful because it brings out the essence of it, you know, a bit like the poor in spirit versus just the poor thing. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the same meaning is intended in, in both, but not all the, all, all the words are used. Mm. And so I think the, the I yeah I mean essentially the, when I preach on 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 the Lord's prayer and the way I understand it when I pray it is that I am praying for the gospel to advance for the church to to increase to spread throughout the world and to grow into maturity so that you've got these kingdom outposts all over the place and then one day at the second in the second coming of Christ that that you know these outposts will become a part of the the kingdom in truth on a, you know, but even on the, even if you do go for, I think it's, it's a Matthew says on earth as it is in heaven. Um, you know, even, even then it's not a problem because that is ultimately we are looking to a new creation, you know, yeah. that is the, the reuniting of heaven and earth is exactly, is exactly our hope. And so um, it's just a, it's just whether or not that's happening now. So I think that, you know, it's a slight over-realized eschatology thing. I think on, on the part of the, yeah, of the theonomists, isn't it? Because it's just, yeah. look, just a little. we're all getting there. They just want it to happen now rather than wait until, until mm. the Lord does it. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. It all comes down to that word kingdom, doesn't it? So yeah. it's like, um, how do you define the word? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, on the one hand, God is King, God is reigning. His will is perfectly coming to pass. Mm -hmm. So the word like kingdom come, come, can't mean God be more in charge no. or be more kingly. Mm -hmm. uh, what it is is it's it's a it's looking forward to a particular type of kingdom and you mentioned the word eschatological <clears throat> the new creations something that uh, the the holy spirit's going to bring in one day and so it's definitely has that forward look but uh what was interesting to me and maybe this is just my own little brain <clears throat> but what would it mean you know to me there's sort of five things so there's what would the original jews have understood when they heard Jesus saying that kingdom comes, so they had a very theocratic, you know, the messianic king coming and kicking the Romans out of the land and establishing Jerusalem as the capital of the world and all the nations bringing their, their bounty and their tribute as vassal states to kick to, to the Davidic king. 
So Thy Kingdom Come was a very milit military sort of oriented thing. Then there's also the, the disciples would have prayed this prayer before Jesus resurrected from the dead. So there might have been a, a short period of time where Thy Kingdom Come was pre-resurrection and looking Mis forward misprayed. to resurrection. <laughs> and then uh, in, just in terms of uh, the kingdom itself, you know, we probably understand, and you'd agree with us, I'm sure, that we would understand that there's a past aspect to the kingdom in its inauguration when Jesus is resurrected, mm -hmm. ascended to the Father, given the name above all names, all authority on heaven and earth given to him. Mm -hmm. And there's the, the present invasion of the new creation, powers of the age to come, mm. the preaching of the gospel and the uh, planting of local churches all over the world. I think you mentioned that, Andre. And then a kingdom consummated with Christ coming again, judging all his enemies and setting up the new creation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So they would have, um, I think, yeah, they would have been praying, um, you know, obviously, because you see in Acts, you know, uh, where they're like, are you going to set up the kingdom now, Lord? You know, after yeah. he's uh, resurrected and he, and he seems to like ignore the question, but he actually answers it with a, with a declaration with, of Pentecost with the, church, and, with the gospel. Like, this yeah. is what will happen, you know, like the kingdom. Yes. Not as you think, but this is what will happen when, when the spirit comes and Judea, yeah. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, etc. So, um, you know, there's the answer, really. That's that's how, I mean, everything yeah, we've been saying, sure. and you see it mapped out in, in um, Acts. But I'm thinking, you know, just on your point there, before that happened, they would have heard the prayer and prayed, no doubt prayed that and thought about it in all sorts of wrong ways. But but maybe in its best sense, it would have, you know, just to add one more category to the kingdom, yeah, you know, you've got, you might say, the kingdom uh, promised in Genesis, you know, and foreshadowed in, in Old Testament history and then inaugurated yeah. in Christ's coming and then commencing through the this period right now and then consummated at the end. So, you know, it's actually yeah. like right from Genesis 1 all the way through the, to uh, Revelation 21. And, um, and so, you know, you've got they, in the best sense, they would be praying for the kingdom to come in every typological way it had been prayed from that very beginning point, you know, because that wasn't a, a new thing in, in many ways. You know, people were praying for the kingdom to Jewish believers would be praying for the kingdom to come when the Messiah comes and thinking about it in, in those uh, idiomatic terms, you know, the, the, the son of David would come and conquer. And that was actually a right thing to think about, you know, it's just that they didn't have that nuanced information. So not saying that they wouldn't have skewed that somehow, but I think that that would have been a legitimate thing. You know, that just yeah, doesn't mean, sure. I think people, people who argue that therefore we must think that way is that's where it goes crazy. Yeah. And uh, probably an important point to make is that, this expression, which I think we're all agreed on here, is not the dispensational understanding of kingdom. Mm. But then the kingdom is the millennial reign. And uh, just what throws cold water on that view is Colossians 1 verse 13, where it talks about God having taken us out of the, the power of, of Satan and put us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So that we're, we're implanted into the kingdom now through salvation. And we come to experience kingdom in the present, not only in a millennial future mm. reign. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely not the dispensational view. <laughs> it does make you realize though, how, you know, you say something like the Lord's prayer and we, you pray it together or recite it together and you have no idea what people are actually thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's a big word. Yeah. They're yeah. all, all sorts of intentions are different, you know, yeah. when you, when you're yeah. praying that. And I think it's really important to teach on that. So that we're all sort of of the same mind when we're yeah. praying for it. Absolutely. I think, to be honest, most 
you know, when you think about it in terms of the end goal, you know, most of us are in the, on the same page, maybe not your kind of hardcore dispensationalist, but you know, most of us are, are on the same page in terms of what that would, what that would look like. It's just the, what that would, how that works for us now, or what, what, yeah. how that's going to be increasingly fulfilled now. That's, that's more the issue, but, uh-huh. um, but so, so important. And it keeps, everything keeps coming back to, to two kingdom stuff. It just keeps happening. Yeah. Like it just can't, can't avoid it, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I was actually reading um, this thing uh, the other day uh, who's um, can't remember his first name, but Wright was his surname. And he wrote a book about Luther and, and um, his two kingdom doctrine, but basically he was saying um, um, that, you know, and this, uh, this, I read this a while back, but it just sort of rejigged it in my mind that the two kingdom thing is, is so it's almost like, you know, the, especially when you start seeing its relationship to law and gospel, you know, cause I think if, if I say law and gospel, for example, you know, I think everyone immediately, certainly us would be seeing, okay, that's like the big theme. And that's like everything, you know, <laughs> you've got, you've got Moses and the new covenant you've got, you know, if you want to think about it in, in uh, covenant historical terms, you've got, uh, you know, just in terms of a hermeneutic to carry you through and understanding every part of the Bible, this is huge. The two Adams, uh, you know, the covenant of works, covenant of grace. Um, but then, uh, you know, if I say to you kingdom, uh, you're also going to be thinking as we just have like, Oh, wow, that's Genesis one all the way to revelation 21. There's a massive theme. That's also obviously, you know, it's, it's so important, but the two kingdom thing is a kind of amalgam of, of those two ideas in that you have, especially with Luther's view where he saw the, the internal kingdom, uh, you know, the, the, the kingdom, the invisible spiritual reality, um, you know, slightly different conception of the kingdom there, but, but that internal uh, kingdom ruled by gospel uh, and, and then the external kingdom ruled by law. And so you, you see how those two things smudged together and it created like a, a whole um, it, it's a, what, what the, the framework of, it seems too, too weak of a word, but uh, it was basically the, the heart behind his, his theology just pumped every part of everything he saw and every dimension, even the law gospel thing. So I just, you know, <clears throat> had this moment, <clears throat> excuse me, where, um, you know, I just saw how it all fits together, you know, and it's, it's, you see how the two kingdom thing is, is truly, truly an important uh, idea along with covenant and law and gospel to, to get down for interpreting the whole Bible. Uh, you know, especially when you add covenant theology, uh, theology to it, because then we're out of the invisible, you know, um, external internal thing that Luther had going. And then you're just thinking about it in terms of, you know, common grace and redemptive kingdom. And uh, you can see how then immediately it just becomes such an important idea. So it's not it's not a surprise really if you think about it that everything would come down to that. It is the yeah. central theme of the Bible, you know. Amen. Uh, Amen. It's you've got covenant, you got Christ at the center. He's the King. You got covenant. That's the way He administers the kingdom. And then you got kingdom, which is the thing that He administers as the King. You know, so exactly. it's, it's it's just it can't get more central. And and it's you know there's no other theme that ropes every single part of the every book and every part of every book into the story like the kingdom does um you know prior well, let me try let me let me try this framework on you guys so here's my here's my lens of kingdom looking at redemptive history through the lens of kingdom so you go to genesis 1 to 3 you've got the protological kingdom yeah and of course protology is eschatology so it's yeah. eschatological nature but yeah that's the protological kingdom then you have the fall and you got the fall till abraham that's the rebellious kingdom and so you've got the flood and babel 
the, uh, the, the city of man being built up and established and, and grown. Then you've got uh, from Abraham, and I'm including Abraham, and then Moses and David, you have the typological kingdom. So there's mm -hmm. types and shadows through the theocracy, even through Abraham and his family, mm. types and shadows. And then you get uh, the, so then you get the ministry of Christ as those three and a half years where Christ the King is in his midst, uh, is in our midst, and all his miracles are putting on display the, the, the nature of his, his kingdom uh, in the new creation. So mm -hmm. there's no death, there's no sickness, nature is obeying him. So the miracles put on display. So that's the proleptic kingdom. Mm -hmm. Then he dies, resurrects, and gets seated at the right hand of the Father. That's mm -hmm. kingdom inaugurated, inaugurated, the inaugurated okay. kingdom. Yeah. Then there's the kingdom being realized. This is the, the overlap of the ages. Mm -hmm. And then there's the consummated kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then the new creation. I like it. Except the, the evil. Uh, what was the second one you said? Uh, the Babel, uh, re rebellious kingdom. I mean, because that kind of keeps going, though. That's the only part. Oh, of course it does. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I didn't know what to call that one. What would you call it? <laughs> well, uh, you <laughs> might have a kingdom it... one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just basically, you know, it's almost like that goes neck on neck with common grace there and that you've got the common grace kingdom um common grace kingdom there's you know kingdom. but yeah. but the problem but you've also got the the what klein called it was the 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 bestial kingdom you know okay. the, the, yeah. the 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 rise the, of the antichrist right uh, making yeah. use of the city of man turning it into the cult of man essentially yeah and um and so i like that but that of course happens all the way through and then the the other interesting uh issue to wrestle with there is the protological deal because you know it's it, the kingdom was kind of held out at that part at, you yes. know wasn't it wasn't so, ever so the promissory real, kingdom yeah you have to kind of go with something <laughs> like that uh but protological is good in the sense that it, it sort of spells out that destiny that could have been you know yeah. i like the way it connects the eschatology to it um it, even before the fall i think that's hugely important in fact i think we were talking about it last time we spoke on the phone but um you know i think this is the issue really coming back to the lord's prayer thing you know, uh, it's all going to come down to your understanding ultimately of what was promised to Adam. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like a, a, a weird thought uh, to, to begin with, to see how everything pins on that. But, you know, if I, th just in my looking at Doyavidianism and Neo-Calvinism and so forth, uh, you see there, the whole thing there is, is that, you know, if we can somehow take over Adam's task, you know, then, basically that's what it means to be building the kingdom adam was supposed to be building this kingdom and and then you know we now somehow get that that rolled back and, yeah. and, and and so we go and and half of it and a lot of it is predicated on the fact that adam is never going to really reach any consummated endpoint. you know he's just he's just building the creation norms that's the whole cosmonomology thing with david is just find what the creation norms should be and then let's develop them and you know make eden what it always could have been but yes. never with a consummation in view and if if, if people take that understanding then you know the, the, you can almost see how it becomes very logical that we would carry on with what adam did but if if adam so the cultural made, mandate and the great commission become united yeah in a way that they shouldn't be well you know well, I think even just before that point, I'm thinking like, uh, if, 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 you know, let's say we just leave out the question of who fulfills the, the cultural mandate and all of that. And we just say, well, everyone agrees that Adam was meant to enter into a consummated state. 
yes. he was meant to do sure build <clears> the <throat> uh, cultural um at least the the cosmic norms and you know go for it build build do this thing do this mandate but then at some point that would have ended and he would have led all of humanity into eschatological glory right um you know if that is accepted then i mean obviously you know we're not taking over that task we can't do yes, that we, you know it just can't. becomes an obvious we need someone to do that for us because we can't Amen. you know and then and then obviously our eyes turn to jesus you know and obviously everyone else's eyes turn to jesus in the old testament and then jesus comes and then he and then the fact that he actually does that you know he does he promises to lead us into a consummated state and not and as the second adam he does that so now all of a sudden you know, we're like, okay, whatever we're doing now, it can't be what Adam was supposed to be doing to begin with anyway. Yeah. Um, it could only be some sort of like doggy paddle state at best. Um, common grace state. It's common grace and we're, we're working towards ameliorative ends and, uh, you know, amen to all of that. But, you know, it's just going to take that, you, you're not going to freight that that cultural mandate with an eschatological burden it, it can't carry you know amen and well um, said. yeah and i think yeah that's basically the the, the issue and it, that's what uh you know two kingdoms uh, van drunen um his book uh, deals deals really well with that i think he just he just um if anyone is listening to this and wants to get a handle on what i'm saying here uh really i can't think of a better book to recommend than that it's just it's a great, great intro yeah. to covenant theology in the first part of the book and then it just kind of like you know just nails the two kingdom issue on the on the second part um but you know I, I think it's just all down to what adam did you know uh that's what it comes down to what, what he was charged to do yeah and all uh, comes down to the sabbath yeah well really I, <laughs> oh you know what i'm actually you know what i'm actually remembering where did andre go by the way i have no idea you just dropped out oh, obviously not not floating his boat he's just mm -hmm. like i'm out of here but what is uh, that's actually the issue that got me onto the septuagint the sabbath um oh, yeah. Because that was, uh, you know, the whole, oh man, okay, let me not get into it. We'll save this for another one. But uh, yeah, that Sabbath is really key. What was the Sabbath about? <laughs> Huge question. Because yeah. I mean, if, it, you know, and then you me measure that up with, with Hebrews, um, you know, that's, that's what we have been trying to enter into. That's what we have failed. Yeah. That's what's still coming. That's what Jesus is now doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. All right, good. Now, uh, what what do we have planned for this uh, season? I don't know, bro. What do you reckon? All right, well, here's what I'm thinking. Um, we have basically, uh, that our people that have listened to this have heard the sad news that um, Flory Cloud has shut down. What? Didn't don't you know? No. What? Wow. Dude. Good talk. Yeah, no, it's kind of kind of gut wrench actually. When oh. um, so yeah, they they got through all of Klein's stuff and, <laughs> and then Chris okay, is like, so Chris they, is like they dealt with the corpus and then yeah, didn't. they're like, all right, well, that, let's land the plane. So, um, and and I think and then Todd started a new one up, so um, because he wanted to keep going, which is kind of a Kleinian spin on things. So Todd um, Bordeaux, Todd Todd Bordeaux, and he's yeah. with his intern. It's called uh, I can't remember the podcast name. That's not good. Hang on, wait, I will find it. I will find it. One second. It's called uh, Kaisis. Um, new life in the new covenant. So pretty cool. And uh, go check that one out. But other than that, I mean, we're low on Kleinian podcasts, basically. Uh, so I'm thinking we probably should, because I'm sort of wrapping up towards the end of the dissertation, I feel like I have some sort of level of know-how to mm. speak about some Kleinian issues. Maybe we should just bring up the Kleinian you know, input a yeah. little bit. Well, we should um, probably interview you on your PhD. You know, well, let's, let's bring that profundity out, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or um, but what I'll do is I'll just kind of, you know, 
just let everyone know where I'm at. And, um, and we can, if we get any good ideas, we can move in, in certain directions, but I think it'd be good just to, just to emphasize that a little bit. Um, and added to that, I mean, you know, uh, I think just a few topics, you know, just get a little bit diverse uh, for yep. a little while, you know, and then, and then we'll come back, I think, to something more sustained and long-term. Um, one thing I did have a, th a thought about, I don't know what, just I'm running up on my overview sermon series. Um, and I was thinking what might be really cool uh, because there's a lot of good material and it's kind of a broad thing for us to chat through. But to to work through every book of the Bible, just as like one podcast, because that that'd be quite cool. Because you wouldn't be constrained to do a summary necessarily. You're more just like, okay, well, let's chat through some of the issues around this book. Probably one of us has preached on it at some level, at some um, point, yep. And some point, can weave weave some plenty and angle in through through all of that quite powerfully. And and I think people would appreciate that, you know, just to just to work through every book. You know, the the more more material that gets you. That sense of overview is good. Thinking about the kingdom, yeah, uh, sounds how good. it manifests at, at various points. So that could be a, a bit of a project on the horizon. But uh, let me open it up to people that are listening in as well. So we're open to suggestions. If there's anything particular, um, I'm still sitting on on uh, John um, Manson's uh, uh, emails. Let me pull it up here quick. Uh, he sent me this like literally forever ago. Um, John, if you're listening to this, you've probably given up on us. You're probably not even listening anymore. But um, uh, he sent me an article. When did he send me this? Oh, dude. June 2020. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how I roll, bro. Um, and um, yeah, he's uh, it's a guy at SBTS um, who um, wrote some random article about clients. It's so harsh such a harsh dude but apparently he's from south africa and he's studying in the states and so anyways i'll read it read it through and maybe now's a good time to comment on some of that article as well just it's good because it kind of brings up the classic stupid arguments against Klein, and uh so we'll just roll through some of those maybe as well so i'll finally get to your article john it's coming um good there we go that's uh -huh. a wrap for today thank you and uh i don't know let's hope my brother's okay over in the uk maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe the lockdown just got to him yeah um all righty that's all right man out. take it